0: Good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today's lesson in our Do Good series is a popular one in our political conversations, but sadly, it's not very popular in our churches. It's the subject of equality. We will seek to define what God says about equality and unpack its importance in our lives as Christ followers so that we can be equipped to do that which God expects us to do, what he's designed us to do, and for his glory, what only the church on earth is capable of doing. Thanks for joining us as we seek to embrace true equality in our good works. I think I must have been about 12 years old. Uh, we had a deer get hit right next to our driveway. We live off an old country road, and so it wasn't very often that you would see deer that were um, were hit right on this slow country road, as you would on the highways, right, regularly. But sure enough, there it lay right on the side of the road and close enough to the house that it would have uh, caused some curious investigation from our hunting dog and Close enough that over about a week, you could start to tell the deer's there whether you knew it was there or not. Well, there's a, there's a procedure that happens within both the state of Michigan and the state of Wisconsin that when a deer gets hit, there is a government agency that's responsible to go and to pick it up, clean it up, and dispose of it. Uh, this used to belong in Wisconsin to the DNR, but they had outsourced it then to, or actually I think turned over the responsibility to the, to the DOT, Department of Transportation, And so if you saw a deer that got hit, you would have to call the right person, and that person would have to understand the right channel to get it to, whether that was to the uh, DNR or the DOT, and after that, whoever got that information would have to make sure that they got down the right location so that they knew right where the animal was, and then they would have to dispatch that out to a outsourced third-party contractor that the state hires to go and pick up the animals and dispose of them properly, and that within 24 to 48 hours, the deer would be cleaned up. Who thinks that happens regularly, the way it's supposed to? And so my dad, uh, without picking up the phone, turned to me and said, Son, go take care of it. (laughs) Didn't didn't need to wait on anybody. Uh, You you knew that it was going to start to stink right? You knew that it was going to become maybe a problem attracting other animals. And so rather than having to wait on the government to go and work through all of the bureaucracy and the red tape and make sure it gets done the way it was designed to get done, you know what? You could just do it yourself and get it done right now. And so I remember I got the tractor out and hooked up the, hooked up the chain and oh, oh mm. drug it out into the woods and disposed of the animal. Whose responsibility is it in our world to do good? Whose responsibility is it? I want to give a slight disclaimer at the beginning of this message, because as we are in this series entitled Do Good, we're going to come to a subject matter today that is unfortunately heavily politicized. And it is not my intent to uh, speak politics in church or turn this into some type of a political uh, debate. Uh, I am going to completely avoid all uh, political party talk. However, we are still going to run smack dab into the subjects that are most frequently, uh, and even today in our world today, commonly debated on, on the subject of equality. Why, why would we have to deal with this concept? Why, why is this a message that the church needs to hear? And quite frankly, it's simply this. It's what the Bible teaches And my hope for you is the same as my hope for me, that as I come to worship God, I need to hear God's word. And as God's word being revealed as truth is offered and taught plainly, it's up to me to obey it, whether I like it or not. So this is why we're going to have to wade through these waters together this morning. But I want to uh, beg your mercies as if at any point a subject matter that we discuss causes you offense or makes you kind of trigger that political debate, um, be gracious. I I pray that you will hear the words as they're intended and that I don't lose anybody um, off of maybe one particular issue that's hard for you to listen to, that you, by God's mercy, will be able to just sit and hear and then dwell with the spirits leading in your life to think, where and how have I either achieved or fallen short on the subject of loving one another equally in our world. I'm going to do my best to avoid any uh, maybe hot topic words, but unfortunately, uh, equality is in the news and it's in our legislation and it's something that we have to address. So if you're with me and if you would be gracious with me this morning, we're going to be in the book of 2 Corinthians. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there. The book of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And as you're turning there, page 1651 1651 in the Pew Bibles, as you're turning there, I I need us to get our bearings. And so I'm going to provide for you a, a definition of equality in your sermon notes. You'll see it there listed as well. But we, you know, if we're going to talk about equality, we have to know what it is we're talking about. And so as we as we run across the subject of equality, this is the definition that I want to submit to you. I'll read it. It says all Christians freely meeting each other's needs as a witness of Christ's example. Does that sound like a lot packed in there? <laughs> it's, a, it's a very full definition, but when we talk about equality, this is what we mean. All Christians freely meeting each other's needs as a witness of Christ's example. Now, what I'd like for us to do as we, as we look at the text um, in Second Corinthians chapter 8, we are primarily gonna be in verses 13, 14, and 15, but but we're gonna draw all the way back to verse 1 through 15. And uh, for the for the for our time of study this morning, I'm gonna I'm gonna break down this definition according to how it's seen in the text. So we're gonna we're gonna deal with this subject uh, note by note as we unpack it and as it unfolds from the principles of found within God's word. So first, uh, I'm sorry, did I say First Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians in chapter 8. Um, I'm going to read for us in uh, verse 13, 14, and 15, and then I'm going to go back and I'm going to read from verse 1. So if you're following along with me, let's start Second Corinthians 8, starting in verse 13. Paul says, Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed but that there might be equality. Your Bible might have the word fairness in there. That's a a good translation as well. They're they're saying the same thing. They're talking about the concept of scales that are balanced, that, that there's fairness that's happening within the church. Verse 14. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. So what's Paul talking about here? And and to understand what's happening, we're going to back up, and I'm going to read straight from verse 1. Some of the background here is Paul is wrestling with a church that's wealthy. Uh, The the Corinthian uh, uh, church has resources and they also, they're loving Jesus, have the desire in their hearts to give, primarily because they have seen this become the pattern of other churches. When they look and they hear of the, the Macedonian churches, the churches over in Galatia, when, when they hear what the people of God are doing and they're all giving, they're all contributing to God's work, they say, Hey, we, we have been blessed. We have been given resources as well. Let's also give. However, in Paul's relationship with the Corinthian church, there has been a hurricane of problems. If you have ever studied through 1 Corinthians, and even to the end of 2 Corinthians, you'll see there's just been lots of frustration, lots of misunderstandings that are going on. So as we reach the story here in 2 Corinthians, now we get to the point where Paul is going to say, you know what, you, you guys were eager to give, Let, let's revisit that idea. I, I'd love for you guys to be generous and to give and to help meet the needs of others. So that's the background. Let's, let's pick up the story in verse 1 and read through it one more time together. Please follow along. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. So we urge Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in, in faith, in speech, and in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes, he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here's my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, when you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so, now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it will be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much and he who gathered little did not have too little. All right. So I have a a few observations for us uh, to talk through. As I have the definition here up at the top, the first part of equality is that it depends on unity. Uh, For this, we're going to see that this is the theme that Paul is laying out between the churches. You've heard about the Macedonian churches, and I know you guys are eager. But if equality is ever something that's going to be seen, it is first dependent unity. We, We have to be unified. And I don't mean here that everybody earns the same amount of money or everybody gets a trophy or any type of foolishness like that. I mean that we are unified under one governing leader, namely our head, Jesus Christ. That's the unity that we need to see. We actually have this depicted for us in the New Testament in a few other places. So I, want to, I have it up here on the screen. You're welcome to write these uh, references down. But in Acts chapter 2, so think with me here, the very beginning of the book of Acts, The church is just starting to gather together and look at the things that they valued. Look at their priorities. Luke records for us here in 2 verse 44 and 45. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Uh, It says a little bit later here in chapter 4, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Here's the first thing I want you to see. That the the commonplace of meeting one one another's needs to to help with the redistribution of resources was dependent on being spiritually unified. They they were together together. They were one in heart and in mind. So as we would seek to see equality, if this is really something that God is burdened about, it must begin by being unified. Number two is this. Equality is reciprocal. I, I really want to make a, <clears throat> a strong point on this because I think this is one that's commonly abused in our world today. First, let me draw your attention back to the passage in 2 Corinthians 8. Look with me in verses 13 and 14, <clears throat> Paul says, our desire is not that others will be relieved while you are hard pressed. Right. Paul, Paul is not wanting the scales to be like, well, you got to give more. It needs to be harder on you so that it's easier on somebody else. That's not that's not the idea behind it. It's reciprocity. It's the idea that when you are able to give, when, when you have an abundance, you help fill up for those who are in lack. This is, look with me again in verse 14. This is exactly what he says. At the present time, your plenty. Th- this means the overflow. This means I, I got more than I need to, to live off of right now. Your plenty will supply their need. So that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. Uh, the other day, I took my family out um, <clears throat> to Applebee's. We drove to, up to Marquette. Took a great walk, uh, you know, as the weather's getting nice here, walked along the shore. But we, we stopped at Applebee's. And um, as the kids were thinking about what they wanted to order, uh, Applebee's has this deal, a little advertisement here for Applebee's. They have this uh, two for 22 or something like that. It, it was a pretty good deal. And you got, a, you got a free appetizer with it. So Emily and Micah, they split that. And the appetizer they chose was mozzarella sticks. <laughs> Beautiful, right? And now Sadie, as she's thinking about her meal, she wants to get mozzarella sticks as well. So the kids' menu lets you get a side just for yourself of mozzarella sticks. So, of course, we sit there and then the waitress comes. She brings the mozzarella sticks as the part of the appetizer for, for Emily and Micah. And then guess who asks if she can have one too? Sadie sees those yummy, chewy juicy warm mozzarella sticks and she asks if she can have one and so with a little bit of reluctance all right and one gets handed to her right and then they get finished and the rest of the meals come well sure enough guess what Sadie has in front of her now her very own mozzarella sticks now what's fair in this scenario (laughs) guess what Sadie now gets the opportunity to do to, to, to learn how, how blessed it is to give. That's what Sadie gets to do. And so we say, now that you had one earlier, now you get to share. And she kind of does the <laughs> Now that's a good example of reciprocity, but it's poorly executed. The idea that we have here is that equality means that God is going to give you seasons in life where you have more than you need. And then God is going to give you seasons in life where you have less than you need. But that's fine because across the board, if we are following God's leading in this, you will be able to fill up here and then this one will come up. And then when you get low, it will be able to be returned to you. We have a wonderful opportunity at Grace to participate in a food ministry, right? I think it was last Sunday we were all able to give. One of the things that we encourage the folks that receive from the food ministry is that they, in turn, find a way to give back. Now, we're not asking for their money. We're not asking for food. But we believe everybody has something that they can contribute. It may not be what you can contribute, but it's something. And I could give you stories today of how I've seen that actually played out and lived out. However, in our world today, that is not and tends not to be the expectation that comes from those who are in power in government when it comes to the concept of redistribution. And that's unfortunate. The Apostle Paul has something to say to us in this. And it's in this passage, but I want to show you in one other passage, a principle that he lays down in the churches. This is in Second Thessalonians. Listen to these words. He says, for even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Now, that doesn't say the one who is unable to work. Uh, th- thank goodness that we live in a world uh, that is incredibly wealthy; that there are safety nets provided for people who are unable. Do you know the difference here between unwilling and unable? Uh, the the problem is that if you and I were terribly honest, there are times where you'd rather not. I'd rather not work. In fact, we see we see this played out historically. I think it was in the earlier early colonial days of the American settlement. Whether that was. Uh, I think Jamestown. I'm, you, you, may, you may know this better than I do, or have to uh, fact check me on it if it was indeed Jamestown. But very early on, they thought we'll have a commune plot of land. All of us together will contribute to the crops, and we will all eat and reap together from the crops. And because the land was not divided up, because the land was all shared in common, everybody thought somebody else was going to pull the weeds. That's what happened. Everybody thought, because this is not my land, because this is all of ours, why should I be the one who has to do all the work? Someone else is going to do the work, and they almost starved that very first winter. So right after this, the uh, smart minds thought, you know what, there may be a better way to do this. And so they divided up the land so that each one had what they were responsible for. And as soon as there was personal responsibility, guess what? There was an abundance of food. And there was a more than enough to go around. And I believe that it's pulling off of, thankfully, our nation built on Judeo-Christian principles, this type of teaching from the Apostle Paul, which drives us back to the concept of equality, because equality is designed to be reciprocal. And so you see it in our definition, all Christians freely meeting each other's needs. I'd just like to ask a show of hands real quick. Have you ever been the recipient of help from another Christian? That's awesome. I think I saw every hand go up. Now, one other question. Have you ever had the opportunity to help someone else? And I think I saw every hand go up again. That's exactly God's design. When we're talking about equality, we are not talking about a free handout. Are we all clear on this? Do I need to repeat that? Right? We're not talking about a free handout. Yep. just give me more. Just give me more. Keep me continually dependent on you. The idea is You help lift me up when I'm low so that I can get my wheels up to speed again because God's going to restore to me what I need so that I can help you when you get stuck in a ditch as well. All right, number three, equality is defined by need and not want. This one is almost worth a sermon in and of itself, so I'm going to do my best to cover it quickly because I actually have some more important ones for us to talk through. Um, Equality is defined by need and not want. Look with me again in verse 14. The text says, At the present time, your plenty will supply... A new BMW, is that what it says? No, No? Uh, a steak dinner, is that what it says? No, it says what they need, what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you, say it with me, need. This is another place where we have very commonly uh, misunderstood how equality should be represented. It's not just on the things that you want. It's, It's upon the things that you need. In fact, we see this in Acts chapter 4. Again, I I left out part of the passage. Let me draw us back there one more time. Luke records, there were no needy persons among them. He's talking about the church here. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. You know what? I I have heard uh, many times, American preachers take this passage and twist it in this false historical context to say, well, that was only for then. That's just what the church did then. There's no reason for us to do that now. And I always just really felt wrong about that interpretation because that's actually not the pattern that I see throughout the New Testament. I see a church recognizing their identity as belonging to a family. And do you know what? If my sister called me today and said, hey, we just had some really bad news And we could really use some help. That's my sister. What am I going to say? Yeah, what do you need? What do you need? Even if that's going to cost me something, that's my family. And do you know what the church is? The church is a family where we need to learn to take care of one another and care for one another. So why is this a problem? Here's why it's a problem. Because the way in which the human heart, without the correction of the recreation is governed by your desires, your wants. The human heart will take you to places that do not bring glory to God. They will seek to satisfy the things you want. Just a verse for you on that out of James. James says to the church, what causes fights and quarrels among you? It's not guilty among you guys, right? That never happens here, right? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you don't have, so you kill. You covet, but you can't get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you don't ask God. And when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Now, I probably don't need to preach much more on this. Give me an amen if you understand it. You're with me? Just one final verse that you can just lock down. This come out of Jeremiah, that the heart is deceitful, Above all things, and it's beyond cure. Who can understand it? And this is why, as you look to any type of a program that would seek towards equality, if those people in charge do not have a re-governing of their desires according to God's will, what you will ultimately find is that it will, in the end, lead towards spending on what your heart wants. This heart that has deceived you. This heart that has deceived me into thinking that what it wants is what is righteous, and it's not true. So equality here is defined by need and not want. Number four, equality must be free. Uh, if you look with me back in chapter 8 and verse 3, so just real quick glance down at your Bible again. Um, uh, first, or second Corinthians 8, verse 3, Paul says, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability. Now that alone sounds amazing, doesn't it? They gave beyond their ability. It's the next clause here, the next line at the end of verse 3. How did they do it? Because Paul demanded it? Because Paul said, you have to do this? Look at what they did. They did it entirely on their own. This, This came from them. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service with the saints. They were wanting to do it. It came from a desire of the Spirit of God moving in their hearts. Uh, One other passage where I want you to see kind of the same theme, if you look with me over in verse 8, so just across the page there, Paul says, I'm not commanding you to do this. This It's not a command. But I want to test the sincerity of your faith. Paul's going to continue. I mean, we're only stopping in verse 15. But if you go on to the next chapter, chapter 19, here you're going to get the major principle when it comes to giving. I have it here on the screen. Each of you should give 10%, man. 10%! I'm tracking it, you know. I got an Excel spreadsheet. I know how much you make. And I'm going to tell Jesus. Is that what it says? Each one of you should give what? Give what you've decided in your heart give not reluctantly not under compulsion you know you better you better give God's not gonna love you if you don't how does God want you to give cheerfully that's that's how you give because when we look towards the principle of equality to do good to one another it must be free It must come freely. It cannot come as demanded or determined by any outside force. If it does, it doesn't give glory to God. But when it comes from your heart, you give what you can give. And this is exactly the principle we have here. If you look at verse 12, uh, Paul says, For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable. That's all it takes, church. That's awesome. You need to know that there is such joy that comes from God when he sees you just giving because you long to just give. And he doesn't care about the amount. And this is what it says again in verse 12. If the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable. Acceptable. According to what one has, not according to what one does not have. All right, that one I think is pretty easy. I think we we all get that pretty quickly. Number five, equality must come from God. And so I have up here in our definition that it's part of identifying with Christ. That when we seek equality, it has to come from God. Now, I want to I'll make sure that you're, you guys are clear on where I'm drawing this observation from. I'm building this one off of the same thing Paul builds his argument from. So as Paul deals with the church in Corinth, he builds this, this whole outline of, you know, finish what you started. I'm glad you're eager to do it. Your willingness is there. It's acceptable. All right. And we, we don't want you to be hard-pressed so that they have what they need. We want it all to balance out in the end. What gives Paul the right to talk like this? And I want to show you from verse 15. So look with me again in the text. Verse 15, Paul says, as it is written. Ah, there it is. Where does Paul get his marching orders from? Scriptures. Same place we do, right? He's drawing it back from the Old Testament story in Exodus chapter 16. The same one Tom read for us today. Look at it with me. He who gathered much did not have too much. He who gathered little did not have too little. Too little what? What was it again? Shout it out if you know it. Manna. Do you remember the story? Just as a quick review, uh, the, the Israelites are grumbling, the Hebrews are grumbling. I wish we had more food. God says, Alright, I'll give you quail. More than that, I'm gonna give you bread from heaven. And here, here was the deal. You were going to go and gather it in, in the morning. And it said that as it showed up, uh, they did not know what it was. In fact, as they tried to determine what to call it, they just decided on that. What is it? If you, if you study Hebrew, manna translated means what is it? <laughs> that's what they call it. Do you have some what is it? I got plenty of what is, what is it. Yeah. This is some good what is it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah that, that's, that was the task. They were to go out and gather it. And as they gathered it, everybody had enough. Because it came from who? Don't miss this now. Everybody had Enough. Those who had much didn't have too much. And those who had little, they didn't have too little. Everybody had enough because it came from God. Um, The passage here that we just read. All right, number six. And I got to spend a little more time on this one now. The, The next two get super important. Equality is a witness to the world. In the text here, if you look a little bit further... Let me find find my my spot here in verse 21 of chapter 8 if we if we move ahead a little bit more i want you to see as paul is encouraging the church in corinth to give he says in verse chapter 8 verse 21 he says for we are taking pains to do what is right not only in the eyes of the lord but also in the eyes of men i want to give you a reminder we're in a series called do good The direction of everything we study Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, the direction of it points where? It points towards those who don't know God, that we would draw them towards the faith. Doing good means doing good for others, that they would see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. But it has to get perfected where first? We got to get it right inside here, but the direction always points this way. Uh, there's, a, there's an author, Howard Snyder, in his book called Liberating Church. He's looking to the contrast the type of people who only think about themselves. He calls them church people. They're right? all just looking at their belly buttons, right? Looking inside, only ever inside. And he's contrasting that with what Jesus gives us for the Lord's Prayer Thy kingdom come. That will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? So if we are to be about the kingdom work of God, meaning that his will needs to be done out there, that the arrow points in that direction, Snyder says these words. He says, church people think about how to get people into the church, but kingdom people think about how to get the church into the world. Church people worry that the world might change the church. Kingdom people work to see that the church changes the world. I hope that resonates with you this morning. And I I want you to know both of those are good concerns. We we absolutely need to be concerned about what's happening inside. But the arrow always points out, and God has designed this from the beginning, that if we are pursuing equality, what we're really doing is we're doing a work that the world's going to pay notice of. The The problem in our world is that for very many people, They have taken that responsibility and given it to the government rather than own that as something that the church needs to do as a witness of Christ, as his example. So in the law, here's the way we see it. I have two verses for you here in Leviticus 19. The the farmer, as he's plowing his field, as harvesting his crop, here is the instruction from the law. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather gleanings of the harvest. Do not go over the vineyard a second time. Or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the alien, the foreigner, the one who's on the outside. I am the Lord your God. And once more in Deuteronomy 24, when you are harvesting in the field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back and get it. Leave it. For the foreign. Does that bother anybody? I kind of feel like my like, hey, my dad, if you're gonna do a job, do it right. You know, you missed the spot right there. You know, that, that doesn't resonate with me too well, right? But there's a reason why. There's a reason why God knows you're gonna drop a few things here or there, and that's okay. Let them lay. Leave it for the foreigner, for the fatherless and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner, for the fatherless and the widow. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, for the fatherless and for the widow. Now, this, this one is so crucial for the church to understand. That we, as we pursue equality, are speaking a witness to the character of our God. And it moves right into the next one, which is the one I will spend the most time on. Equality is a responsibility of the church. Equality is the responsibility of the church. Please look with me one more time in uh, verse 8 and 9. Paul says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do they? Do they know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? Do they worship him? Do they sacrifice their lives as a living sacrifice in honor and glory in response to his mercies? No. Who, who's supposed to do that, by the way? Point to your neighbor and say, you are. Now point back to your other neighbor and say, no, you are. <laughs> Verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich for your sakes, he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. We have strewn throughout God's word a command that's given to God's people that has been outsourced to the government. I believe we failed in a lot of ways at this. And I hope, I hope that we in Segola will say, God, help us to do better. Let me let me offer to you I, I think I have a, a couple of verses I want to read. And I want you to see the repetition that God gives for the expectation of his people that it is their responsibility. It's the Christians' responsibility. In Isaiah 117. Uh, you know what? I, I apologize, guys. Thank you. Are you guys with me this morning still? I know I'm going a little bit long. I'm I'm gonna be done before eleven. Um, <laughs> I can't do this. I can't just give you verse 17. Hold your spot in 2 Corinthians, turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 1 because you you need to see a little bit more of the context here. Um, The the words that uh, God is going to speak through the prophet Isaiah, they will mean more to you when you see what he says a little bit earlier. So Isaiah chapter 1. Let's start in verse 12. Really, I should go back to verse 10. That's your homework. Read more of this, but here we go. Isaiah chapter 1 page 973 in the Pew Bibles. God speaking through Isaiah, verse 12. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts, stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations. I cannot bear your evil assemblies. Your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. And now we get to verse 17. Learn to do right. How, How, Lord, how? Here's how. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. All right. The reason I wanted to take you there in the, in the larger scheme. Did you see what was happening? The people of God, were they going to church? Yeah. They were, were they singing their songs? Sure. They, they were, were they making sacrifices? Sure they were. But what weren't they doing? They weren't doing what God demands that the people who represent him must do. It's their responsibility to seek justice, to defend those who are. Ah, so God, this is why I see a problem today in the church. That's someone else's job. That's the government's job. That is not their job. That is our job. A few other verses. Micah 6.8 He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. James 1.27 Religion that God our Father accepts is as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Jeremiah 22.15 and 16 Does it make you a king to have more and more cedar? Did not your father have food and drink? He did what was right and just, so all went well with him. He defended the cause of the poor and the needy, and so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord? Ex- Ezekiel 16. Oh boy, there's a lot I could say on this. Now this was the sin of your sister, Sodom. If we stopped right there, everybody in their minds would think what? Come on, what's Sodom? We know what they're guilty of, right? Uh-uh, that wasn't it. Look what it is. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, unconcerned. They didn't help the poor and the needy. They were haughty and they did detestable things before me. Therefore, I did away with them, as you have seen. This is my last one for you here. Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. All right, just for time, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let that just resonate with you so we can move on through this, but there's so, so much more. Please hold that this one is the main one. This is so, so important. Lastly is this, equality moves towards transformative growth. Even as much as you hear the call from our seventh point, it's the responsibility of the church to seek justice and defend the oppressed. Many people today, especially in America, have been confused as to what that means. And in the church, there are Christians who are are handing over the commands of God under the pressure of political correctness. Just a word. Just a word on the Equality Act. Have you heard of the Equality Act that's passing the House and is currently in the Senate? The Equality Act actually undermines God's authority and it elevates man's desires. Because what the Equality Act is doing is it's making equal two things that are not equal. Your your race, what you are in your identity, that you have no choice over, is now being made equal with your behavior. And what your heart thinks it wants and what you think your identity is, those are now being made equal. So that if you as a Christian are going to try to stand upon God's truth, to say that there's a certain type of living and behavior that's not pleasing to God, you will be a racist. Now, if the, I don't think the equality is going to pass this time, but it will. It absolutely will someday. And what we need to know is that when it comes to true equality, it actually produces transformation. That's what equality does, it produces a change within us. I want I want you to see this from the text. If you look back with me in verse 7, look what Paul says. He says, "Just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in completeness, in earnest, in your love for us, see that you excel in this." Did did the church in Corinth need to grow? Yes or no? Yes. D- did the church in Corinth need to change and be transformed? Yes or no? Yes. And Our world today has said, no, it's actually the self-identity of men that need to be elevated above the commands of God. And that's one of the major problems. The Equality Act also legislates control over religious conviction. So what you think is right or wrong is now going to be controlled by the government. And it falsely links discrimination of race with discrimination of behavior. It purports equality, but it promotes a godless ideology. I'm a, I want to make sure that the only thing you don't leave here with is, well, a pastor hates people. He's right. I, please, please understand that my desire is to be true to what God's word actually teaches us about equality. This is, this is the passage earlier in 1 Corinthians. Paul says, do you not know that wrongdoers won't inherit the kingdom of God? What if, nobody tell, what if no one tells them that, though? What if people continue living in sin and nobody tells them this is going to separate you from God? God's not designed you to live this way. I understand there's a brokenness within you, but God has something better to restore you and make you whole. Paul says, Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. This is the best part. And that's what some of you were. What is that? Future tense, present tense, or past? That's past tense. That's what you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God. Because equality moves us. It moves us to be transformed and to grow. All right, let's wrap this up. I have four steps for you that I want to leave in just the last two minutes as we're, as we're closing here. I want you to know everybody is somewhere here. As you're listening to this message, as you're seeking to follow God, you're either at step one, two, three, or four. So this is what I want you to do today. I want you to ask, all right, where am I at on this? And there's a principle that will determine how we apply equality. Here's the principle. The physical follows the spiritual. The the, the physical outworking of helping one another, of trying to pursue equality is dependent on the spiritual. So it starts with the spiritual. So step number one is be reconciled to God through Christ. Step number one is you need to have a new heart. Your heart is deceitful above all who can know it. It's desperately wicked. And so do you know what you need? You need a new heart. So step number one is that we need to be reconciled with God and to see that he now gives us, infuses within us His Holy Spirit to be our teacher, to grow us and lead us. Number two is this. You need to put Jesus as first in your heart. I think that there are many people on their path towards knowing God, their path being saved, where they start with step one. And God in his mercy says, I grant you faith. You, You now are restored and redeemed. But still in their lives, there are these little idols that sit on the shelves of their heart that as God comes and takes up residence in our hearts, he slowly starts to knock one down, knock one down, knock one down and make who number one? Make Jesus number one. So hopefully, if that's you this morning, that's my encouragement to you. Ask what is up on those shelves and knock them down. Because when your heart is redeemed, And when Jesus is first in your life, now we can start to move to the third step. Which is that you need to follow the Spirit's leading to match the physical with the spiritual. There needs to be a match there. And lastly, number four, and I like this one best of all. This is where I'm at. Get going. (laughs) This is exactly what Paul says in the text. And I want to end with this. Verse 8, he says, or sorry, verse 10, he says, Here's my advice about what's best for you in this matter. Last year, you were not only the first to give, but also they have the desire to do so. Now finish the job, finish the work. I want to offer just a a word as I wrap this up, if I've not offended you enough politically here. Let's talk about stimulus checks for just a second. First of all, I don't want your stimulus money. Let's just settle that one, right? Um, Number two is this. You should not feel guilty about using it. If you need the money, use it. By all means, this is what you need to remember. That's your money. Anyway, you gave it to the government. It's your money. They're just giving it back to you, right? So make sure everybody hears me on that. Don't feel guilty about it. However, maybe if you have more than what you need, you have an abundance. If your needs are met, maybe there's others who need it more than you. I I believe God's word that it says there's not an effort to make you hard pressed so that they're relieved, but there needs to be equality so that your plenty will supply someone else's need that in turn, their plenty will supply yours. Let's pray.